If you're familiar with jazz, all improv, you know, you can have the same four people up there every night and it can sound totally different. But what is consistent is that the bassist is laying down the bass line and everything's being improvised off that. Because there's a bass line, gives everybody, even the listener in the room, a sense that they know what's coming, what should come. There's a cadence to it that can be expected. Most renegade founders don't really care about a cadence, but the people that we need to hire, one of the most dignifying things that we can do for them is to give them a cadence so they have some consistency. They know when their weekly team meeting is. They know what their big objectives are. They know when they're going to get a coaching conversation and what that's going to go like, like the rhythms of the business. And again, founder, probably not the one to lead that charge, but they've got to buy in and empower somebody to do it. Hello and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance, exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoy the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello, today I'm talking with and learning from Benj Miller. Now, Benj is a business coach. He's based in Atlanta, Georgia. He's also a serial entrepreneur. He's built, founded, and run 10 businesses, if you include his current coaching business, System and Soul. He's crafted a business operating framework based on what he's learned, successes and failures. He's written a number of books, but the one we're going to talk about today mostly is Renegades, Break Rules, Find Freedom. It's a book for founders. And now what Benj has found working with founders is the sort of what got you here won't get you there is true. They need high energy and hustle at the beginning. And then they need to craft a business and build teams. And many of the things that they need to be successful don't come naturally to them. They need to be able to build teams. And this is a way of looking at building your startup and not getting overwhelmed, how to be more successful. So we have a great conversation. And I think there's a lot for everybody here. Hey, my name is Benj Miller. I'm the CEO of System and Soul. I reign from Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm honored to be here today. Bench, fantastic. I used to have a team in Atlanta. So I'd fly into Atlanta. And then I think last year I was at a conference and I stayed downtown and I ran around downtown. It's fab. I mean, I'd spent, I'd spent five years in and out of Atlanta, never seen downtown, didn't know the area, just, you know, in a hotel next to the office. Lovely place. Yeah, we, uh, my wife and I have been here for almost 20 years and have no intentions of leaving until our kids are grown and then we'll find a place by the water somewhere. Yeah. Are you in the city? Um, just, well, we, okay. So in Atlanta, we have a, a beltway. And so you're either 
ITP inside okay. the perimeter or outside right. the perimeter. Uh, and there's some it's ego involved there for different people, but we are just outside the perimeter on the north side. Nice, nice, right. And what do you do? What do I do? I coach, I work with senior leadership teams of stage two companies. You know, they've, they've already kind of figured out their product market fit. Uh, they've gotten some growth. And usually what's happening is that the old adage of what got you here isn't going to get you there. And they're not sure what those things are. And so much of it has to do with transitioning from being a founder led organization to a team that's led by uh, a team of senior leaders that are aligned, healthy, and effective. So we, I help them make that transition. That's fab. It's fab. I was just talking to a colleague because I'm off to do some work in the States in a couple of weeks. Much, much bigger organization. But that whole aligned, solid, that never goes away. That working on the team never goes away. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. We talk about stage two companies and uh, generally can kind of quantify that 25 to 75 employees. Uh, but the the dirty little secret is like my last three clients are 200 employees, 250, 1300. You know, there, there's, it work. it's all the same principles, blocking and tackling team health. All of that is it comes down to the core fundamental same things over and over and over at whatever scale you're at. That scale, I suppose you took, you did 25, you said you defined it as 25, 75. I think about it as threes and tens, like 30 and a hundred. And at 30, you've definitely got a founder. Yes. There might even be trying to manage all those 30 people or 25 people on their own. Certainly if yes. there's two, two or three yep. founders that probably make that work, but at a hundred, they need a leadership team. Absolutely. And at 300, they need a leadership team and a management team. And yes. so what um, what gets in the way? I, I know you working with a, are you working primarily with a, with a founder that somehow is getting stuck with creating, with creating that team? Yeah, usually they have a team, but what's happened is that they've elevated their best technicians and all the core functions of their business. And so they have a team, but they're not leaders. They're not managers. They've never been taught how to lead or manage. They don't maybe even want to be doing that. They're just the tallest midget in the circus. I was going to be polite. I was going to say they're the, uh, they're the, uh, they're the sort of contributors, sole contributors, uh, or yes. ICs yeah. is one of our clients calls them. And they just, that, you know, yep. they, somebody was looking and they're the least worst candidate, but you're right. They're the tallest midget. Yeah. Which what happened as a result of that, that leader can't actually trust that person to, you know, they, they've probably grown up through the organization, been there for a few years and been there at a time when the, the founder could be more instructive to them. You know, founders know every aspect of their business. So they can tell the sales guy, here's what you need to go. And ops guy, here's what you need to go do until it hits a certain scale. Then you've got this person in there that you've been telling what to do but you really need somebody in sales that's telling the organization what to do, right? That's what the leadership looks like is they're owning that function of the business and the trust between that founder and that leader of that function has to be super high. And a lot of that is competence, a lot of it's leadership, a lot of it's character. You're right. They, lots of those people didn't join the organization to be managers and they don't want to be managers. So, so what do you do? Do you strip it all out and start again? Start hiring from outside or? Yeah, I, I think you've got lots of 
options, but all of them start with having very clear, candid conversations. What do we need for the next season of this business? And then does that, does that fit you? Does that suit you? Are you there? Do you want to grow into that? Because maybe there are only, you know, one or two steps away from being the leader that you need and you can invest in them to get there. I found out, I learned this lesson the hard way. Uh, my brothers worked for me in one of my businesses for 17 years, uh, which is a miracle by its own sake. But at one point he was managing a function of the business and he was at it for less than a year and he was ready to quit. He was absolutely burned out, hated the business, hated everything. We sat down, we had some, started having some really, really clear conversations. Well, he was the absolute highest value individual contributor in the organization. And he hated leading a team of people. He just wanted to do his craft. He was a, he was a craftsman. And so when we were, when, when I gave him the freedom of, well, you don't, you don't have to, you can go back and you don't have to lead anybody. And he's like, oh, I thought I did to like, you know, grow with the company and all that. I'm like, no, absolutely not. So it was just this very clear conversation. How can we get aligned on where you're at and what you want and where the company's at and what we need? So often that whole grow with the company thing, so often people go, oh, well, the individual contributors get paid X. If you want to be paid more, the managers are being paid more. And Early on, there's no concept of paying an individual contributor more than a manager. You, you realize that that's the thing yeah. later once you've stumbled. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that takes us into a whole nother thing where, we, where we're learning and we have this new tool at System & Soul called Six Dimensions of Compensation. Because what happens so many times is people get stuck in a compensation conversation. It goes straight to salary and benefits, right? And so the only way to be promoted and, and grow as a person is to take that, that promotion, which means more money. But the reality is there's five other dimensions, uh, our social dimension, our spiritual dimension, our physical dimension, our mental and our uh, physiological. So, so how, how are the ways that you want to be compensated, which is very correlated to stage of life, how I wanted compensated as a single you know, 20 something versus how I want compensated as a, you know, mid forties married with four kids, you know, that are thinking about college, you know, very different. Like I want to be able to go to sports games. So the physical compensation of the flexibility of my calendar means more to me than another, you know, 10% bump in salary. So there, uh, you have to, Again, this goes back to having actual conversations with the people that we work with. If I can understand what, how you're motivated and what, how you want to be compensated in this stage of life, we might be giving money away that's not really solving a problem that much simpler things could solve. Something as simple as, as social. Do you enjoy the team that you're working with? Something spiritual. Does your work have purpose? Like, How can we give people more of what matters to them uh, and compensate them. They're gonna be, they're gonna feel more rewarded, more bought in, stay longer. You know, we all know the retention problem that everybody has right now. And so this is again, we're going back to business is human, relationships are human. We've got to have human conversations. And I think we've tried to operationalize everything out of having just good human conversations. I'm going to come back and ask you that about conversations in a moment. But you said earlier you talked about the season of the business. So I guess there's some mm. something deeper there that you that has that that phrase or that word has some meaning in 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 your framework. Well, I, I'm just referring to you know, and 
in stage one, I call that the bar- barbarian phase. We don't, you know, we're super reactive. We take every opportunity. We're trying to figure out where we fit in this world. You know, we're just muscling our way through stage one. And in my mind, I've just got Vikings. It's, I just have rape and pillage. Yeah, rape absolutely. and pillage. We're not, plant, we're not well, planting crops. We're just stealing <laughs> it from everybody we can. Well, part of that's true because you're trying to figure out where you do want to settle, right? And so in stage two, you start to settle. And so the the activities that we did in a barbarian phase don't work in a stage two, and they're definitely not going to get us to a stage three. So I, when I talk about season of the business, it's just like, where are we at with what we need for the next season? Okay. Which is the next stage? Is that, are they synonymous? Um, yeah. Uh, one of the, one of the exercises that I take to, companies through is, is saying, all right, all right, this podcast, Dom, like what version of this podcast are you on? And you're like, well, I've, I'm on, I'm on version three. Cause I started with this format and then I changed it to this. I'm, I'm on version three. I'm like, so what does version four look like? And you start to paint a picture of that preferred uh, vision, future, where you're going. And they're like, all right, well, let's back that up. How do we get to 3.1? What's the first step, right? So sometimes there's the there's the macro stage of the business, but the the seasons can be much smaller. And the seasons might be, you know, I love working on a 90-day cadence. You know, what are our quarterly objectives, our OKRs? But what are the big things that we're working on right now? And we're going to live in this season. I love to put a theme on the year, right? So um, our theme for next year uh, is 10x very much out of an inspiration from Dr. Benjamin Hardy's book, 10X is Easier Than 2X. Yeah, Dan Sullivan. Yeah, really, really challenged my thinking. Actually, I'll I'll admit, I was stubborn the first time I read it and kind of nodded my head. The second time I read it, I'm like, okay, this there's a lot of keys to unlock a lot of doors in here. So we are sitting with our team in this, like, what are the activities that we have to do and, and not do? A lot of it's about what do we stop doing? in order to, to 10x. Uh, and that's a season of the business. It's interesting because I think about when I listening to that 10x by, you know, two, 10x is easier than 2x. I was struck by one of the things is which are the people, or if you surround yourself by people who are 2x thinkers, then you'll never 10x the business. And I was thinking, you know, that is often one of the challenges that certainly scale-ups that I'm working with have you know, back to the conversation we were having earlier about leadership teams. Exactly. You know, the, I, I was talking to somebody today and I said, you know, I said to people, if you were a football team, if you're a soccer team in the UK, what league are you in? And, and where, where is, what is your aspiration? Where do you think you might be? And uh, how likely is it that all of the players on the field today will be on the field when we've been promoted a few times? Because yeah. if they're not prepared to swap any players out, then they're probably not going to get promoted, even if that's their aspiration. Yeah. And so, you know, that gets into, you know, some of these difficult conversations about is the team good enough? Can the, can the team actually 10X the business? Yeah. I'll tell you a funny story. I was, um, this is one of my proudest moments as a coach just because I was giggling on the inside and holding stoic on the outside. But we were we were having an org chart conversation and I'd been with this company for uh, about 18 months and they'd made some drastic changes. But there was one guy, not in the room because he's not on the leadership team, but he still reports to the CEO. And I'm, we get done with this big conversation. I'm like, so what do we, we'll call him Sam to protect his identity. What, what, 
what are we doing with Sam over here? Why is he still up here? And the CEO talks, you know, well, he's, you know, I hired him. He works straight for me. And I think, you know, he really, that's important to him and blah, blah, blah. He just talks for a while. And I just looked at him and I said, so Sam's emotions are running this company? And he goes, shit, Benj. <laughs> um and actually, actually, this was really wise on their part. Uh, the the CTO, who you know, technology guy, you're a technology guy, you'll get this. In in technology, you've got technical debt, right? Yeah. So they they came to the conclusion that they had structural debt in their organization with the Sam position. But what was really, really, uh, I thought was insightful, where I'm like pushing them, like rip the bandaid off. In the moment, they're like, "Hey, we've got in this season." Back to the season. We've got bigger things to tackle than Sam. So, so they just put that on the backlog of, and called it structural debt. And I kind of loved that analogy. They knew it was there. They knew they had to deal with it. And this wasn't the time. Yeah. I, one of the things that, I mean, I, I come across issues like this all the time with team size, leadership team of 12, right? Because they promote, oh, they painful. promote, they made it, they made all those individual contributors, all those ICs were, became heads off. <laughs> Yep. And they've got 12 heads yep. off. So they've now got this mix of actual leaders and other people, and, it's, and they don't want to upset anybody. So I often just say, okay, five years from now, like how big are we? How many employees have we got? What's our turnover? What, how big's the leadership team? What are the job titles of the people who might be in that leadership team if yeah. this is how many of them there are? And then, because you do it so far away, doesn't feel difficult to discuss for anybody in the room and and because it's a it's so far away but then once you've made the decision back it then we're now working towards that and and it happens in my experience it happens really really quickly once people have got clarity on what that future vision is yeah i don't know if it's still true the uh the ceo of ford do you know how many direct reports he had or how many senior leaders he had four good that's a good number I love it. And, but to your point, you get a company with a hundred employees and there's 12 people in the leadership team. You're kind of like, this, this isn't right. They've got some structural debt. You've written, just written a new book, just published a new book. Yes. Yes. Labor of love. It's called Renegades. It's uh, break rules, find freedom, a book for founders. So a lot, it, it's a lot of what we're talking about here, but what we find is that the uh, renegade founder, as we call them, everything works until it doesn't. And the reason they're a renegade, the reason their company exists is because they uh, chose to break some of the social norms that are out there. Like you've got to go against a some flow in order to start something of value and purpose. And so you've gotten to that point and what they run into is exactly what we were talking, we call it the founder gap, where I can no longer touch everything in the business myself. It's not working. Uh, we, we wanted to create freedom for ourselves. Now we've created a prison and I've got to pick up the phone whenever it rings and it's always problems and fires and I haven't taken a real vacation. And the way out of that, the world, you know, probably half the books sitting behind you are some sort of version of how we have to grow up and mature as a leader and become something that we're not. We're renegade and they want to strip the renegade out of us. And so I'm like, well, the premise of the book is, uh, I'm, I'm imploring these founders, don't lose your renegade. 
The world needs your renegade energy. And the shift is to go from a renegade founder to a renegade leader. So what does a renegade leader look like in the organization? I do not want you to grow up and, you know, go from your startup Silicon Valley hoodie to having to wear a suit. And, you know, like that's just not what it's about. We need that renegade energy. And so we talk about six shifts. And one of the most freeing things is that uh, the, the founder has to, well, the renegade leader has to champion these shifts in the organization, but they're probably not the one to lead the charge. And so if we can understand what they are and maybe find the right people in the organization, then it starts to develop that leadership team that's now owning the cadence of the organization, the measurement of like, are we winning or not? How do we know? So I, I love this because I, I mean, I, I have calls from founders regularly where they ring me up and I say, what's the problem? And then you say, I fucking hate my job. Yeah. I've had people in tears and, it, and, they, and they feel as though they have to become this person that they're not to succeed or they've, they've already gone down the track of becoming the person that they, and you know what, they're not very good at it and it's just draining and no, debilitating. No, yes. And they no longer get 100%. any joy from this thing they created at all. And as you say, they've created this, this prison. So what are these six things that they need to focus on that to get somebody else to do that lets them do the thing that they're great at? Well, yeah, and they they play a role in it. They just don't have to like lead the charge with all of them. So the 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 first shift we go from the world says, you know, play, you know, Dom, play the hand you're you're dealt. You're dealt a hand, play it. The renegade founder says, I'll I'll bet on myself. Like, forget about the hand that I'm dealt. I'm gonna I'm gonna bet on myself. And the shift is that we have to bet with intention. So when you start an organization, you are really making a big bet on yourself. When the organization grows, you need to pull some other people into the bets that you're making and enable other people to make specific bets. So when you think about you're, being, you're at a roulette table, uh, you've got a finite set of chips, you're gonna put them on 36 red. I don't even know if 36 <laughs> is red, but let's pretend. Um, um, there's an opportunity cost for that, right? Because I could put it on other yeah. places and the, and the reward better be worth the risk, right? Founders naturally think like that. But if we're elevating some of these individual contributors, managers, you know, their, their status quo, their safety and comfort driven, uh, they're not necessarily naturally going to bet with intention. So the shift is to teach the organization how to bet with intention. Uh, we, do that in a couple ways. The second one, the world says, don't quit your day job. And the renegade founder says, I'm going to dance to the beat of my own drum. I don't care what music you're playing. Um, I'm, I'm going to go and dance to the beat of my own drum. And the, the shift that we talk about here is what we call the cadence shift. And it's to set the baseline. So if you're familiar with jazz, all improv, you know, you can have the same four people up there every night and it can sound totally different. But what is consistent is that the bassist is laying down the baseline and everything's being improvised off that. The baseline, because there's a baseline, gives everybody, even the listener in the room, a sense that they know what's coming 
or what, what should come. Like it, there's a cadence to it that can be expected. Most renegade uh, founders don't really care about a cadence. They love the improvisation part of it, but they don't care about the cadence. But the people that we need to hire, uh, one of the most dignifying things that we can do for them is to give them a cadence so they have some consistency. They know when their weekly team meeting is. They know what their big objectives are. They know when they're going to get a coaching conversation and what that's going to go like, like the rhythms of the business. And again, founder, probably not the one to lead that charge, but they've got to buy in and empower somebody to do it. And and they've got to I let that, they've got to make sure that they don't undermine that person. Absolutely. There's a surrender that has to happen to let other people take over for the sake of the organization. What's next? I love this. It, that these, these are absolutely fit with my own experience. So. Yeah. Uh, rule number three, uh, the world says, know what you're getting yourself into. Like count the cost before you do it. Renegade founder says, I'm going to go with my gut. They've got, a, they've got an intuition driven by a purpose that will outweigh any data that sits in front of them. And that's great. We like back to our analogy, when we've got 20 people in the organization and I can interact with all of them, then my gut's really strong. But when we start to get levels of abstraction away from that, my gut can no longer do it because my, no, my gut's no longer experiencing all these different things in the business. So the shift is, is to know when we're winning. And I love the analogy of a scoreboard for this. Some people talk about a scorecard or, you know, your KPIs, whatever. I just love the analogy of a scoreboard because a scoreboard lets you know, not after the game, but in the game, if we're winning or not. So at the individual level, the team level, at the company level, if we know the data, if we know the, the metrics that will point to a win for the, the game that we're playing, then everybody's aligned. There's so much alignment. And I fought this as an entrepreneur for the first 10, maybe 15 years of my career. I didn't want to impose a number on anyone. That would be so constricting and evil of me. And just like the cadence, just like the baseline idea, I've learned that some people just want to know if they're winning. They just want the clarity. And to give them that expectation of like, hey, uh, my, my buddy Jonathan Reynolds has, I don't know, 300 plus employees. And he, he talks about this so well. He's like, everybody always expects 100% of their paycheck. Like every two weeks, they have this expectation that I pay them their paycheck. So why can't I have an expectation that I get 100% of what I'm paying for? And so I'm going to measure that and I'm going to give them that clarity. And I, that's, that's super inspiring to me. I, and well, I, I had a chat on the podcast with Jim Harter, who's the chief scientist at, at Gallup. And Gallup reckon 85% of employee engagement and productivity comes as a result of their interactions with their team leader or manager. And, and Jim said, the 80-20 rule applies. He said, so if managers just do one thing, they get most of the upside. That one thing is a weekly one-to-one, a weekly check-in with them, with their employee. 10 to 15 minutes is all it needs to be. And if they only do one thing in that meeting, they get most of the reward for doing the thing. And he said, that's to praise yeah. them for a job well done. But he said, mm. you have to know what the job expectations are. 
and you have to know that they've done it. So you have to have yep. the scoreboard. It's and without without the scoreboard, you get to you get to five o'clock on a Friday. You need to know when you go home. Like, did I win? Like, did I do yeah. what I was supposed yeah. to do? Was today a good day? Exactly. You know exactly. How do I? Know? Because otherwise, you have a daily huddle, and somebody said, "Where are you stuck?" You're going to go. I don't know. Still don't know. Didn't know yesterday. Don't know today. Won't know tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> no idea. I'm just sort of turning up and getting paid every two weeks. I have no idea what I'm doing here. How miserable. Yeah. But from your experience, what percentage of managers actually do that? What, have the daily huddled or the, or the weekly check-in? Uh, yeah, a weekly check-in and ask that question with that clarity. Gallup say about 35% of U.S. organizations that they survey have scorecards in place. So that, I'm, that tends to be larger organizations. I think the clients that I work with, most of them put that in place. But I would say I probably work with clients who are who are in the top five percent and who want to be in the top one percent. So I think I think you yeah. know it's it's nearly a hundred percent for me, but it feels quite rare. And when most companies turn yeah. up, they haven't they haven't got that in place. But I think it's yeah. um I think it's it's just vital. Like you know, how can you hire somebody if you don't know what your expectations are of them? I mean, how do you send an interview and hire somebody if you don't know what you're hiring for? How do they know that they're going to be any good at it? I mean, just, it's amazing. It is amazing. It is amazing. It's so, it's the blocking and tackling that's so often overlooked. I guess you don't know that. Do you know that expression? But yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I won't ask you about the offside rule, but I, yeah, blocking and tackling, I get. I, I can do the offside <laughs> but rule. I just, but I, I think, I, I, again, I think it's one of these things which is ta- so counterintuitive to entrepreneurial founders. You know, this is the process piece that is just not going to come intuitively to them. Yeah. You know, there's, you know, scaling up is the methodology that I would use. You know, it's yeah. in there. You know, pick sure. a methodology. You know, it's in your book. Uh, the world says, be patient. You might get lucky. And the renegade leader, founder says, I'm going to make my own luck. I don't have time for that. I'm not going to leave it to chance. I'm going to make my own luck. And when the organization gets to this stage, the shift is what we call the destination shift, which is super simple. It's start with the end in mind. Classic Jim Collins, start with the end in mind. Um, what we what we challenge them to do is create uh, a destination statement. So where are you going? by when, and where are we going has to be tangible because we got, like our last conversation, we got to know when we get there. When are we going to get there? When is important for setting pace, right? If I say I'm going to be 100 million in three years or 100 million in 10 years, well, that's different leadership, different decisions, different capital requirements, like it sets pace. And then most uh, importantly of the whole thing, bring in some Simon Sinek action and add a why. So we've got where are we going, when are we getting there, and why does any of it matter? And that why starts to frame the story that other people can see themselves in. They want to play a role in that story. So super simple, um, but most most organizations, especially early on, they they jump over some of these pieces. But the clarity that it gives the organization in terms of what they're trying to do and why it matters is, is vital. The sort of... You describe that Jim Collins uses the phrase BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal for mission. Yep. That that exactly. what are we doing by when 10 to 25 year vision, uh, 25, 10 to 25 year mission. 
And he talks about purpose, the why, something. He talks about that. I, 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 lots of companies find that really, you know, and, and, and I say, and I, and I say no, why? And they give me another what. And I go, no, no, that's what you do. Yeah. Why'd you do it? And they're like, it's uh, just so hard. Here's the one little trick that I've learned facilitating, I don't know, 100, 200 of these conversations is it's easier to illuminate what your why is when you get really clear on what drives your who. Like, who do you wake up to make their world better? Is it your customer? Is it your employees? Is it your stakeholders? Like, let's get really honest about who is driving it, our why. Interestingly, I wrote a blog a while ago, still gets the most traffic, which is Simon Sinek is fundamentally wrong. Because I, I, I'd say exactly that. I say, you know, Apple have got this thing about building amazing products, but unless people were, unless a small subset, you know, they sell, they sell 7% of the world's smartphones and make 70% of the world's profit margin on smartphones. But unless people were prepared to queue around the block in an Apple store, like, so unless they had a who, who cared about what they made, what they made would still not, yep. you know, and, you, yeah. and, I, and, and I, and I think sometimes I'm, I'm, pre I'm prepared to run with it because, you know, you, these things are iterative. And if somebody said, look, we're going to create a company, which is a great place to work. I live with that because it's better for the employees to work for a company that's a great place to work than not. And, and at yes. least that means we didn't put profit first. I'd say there's, you know, there's something tangible that we can, that we can use to make strategic decisions with, and something else yeah. will probably become clearer later. A uh, friend of mine, Daniel Priestley says, he says, okay, I want you to pick one of the United Nations goals. The United Nations have 16 goals of sustainability. Uh, and he says, look, pick one of those. And it's, you are, you are in something and your 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 purpose will be the intersection of the thing you do in one of those um and so that helps people helps people they at least they've only got 16 to pick so they can go and pick one and then it's like yeah now we let's see if that settles for us and and at least that's a shortcut yeah that's that's really good i'm gonna go look those up because i'm uh i don't know what those are so i'm super curious it's just really helpful go and have a look i think you find it i think you find it instructive and when you're working with a client who's stuck it it helps yeah. them. It helps them get get somewhere quickly. I'm not sure I have these four right, so forgive me if I'm a little off. I think I got three out of four. But somebody said once that it's helpful if you, as an organization, know um, how you're wired. And most organizations are wired either to build something, to create something, to serve someone. And I think the last one was like beat somebody, like a competitive spirit, like they were out to beat somebody. Um, I can't remember if those were the exact four, but that was also helpful in this this why conversation. Okay, I what um was that? Have we got five of six? Is there a sixth? Well, we only oh. got four, so five five is don't make a scene. Um, and the renegade says, "I got to be me." Now they don't set out to make a scene, but if who they truly are is at odds with the scene, then who they are is going to win, right? Like I, I gotta be me. And when we start an organization, that's wonderful. And the organization starts to look and feel a lot like that renegade founder. Well, as it grows, we've got to create room for some other people. So we got to do we, 
That's the ethos choice. And the ethos is about knowing who you are as a, an organization. And there's, there's three critical elements to that. One is your identity. Knowing who you are, we help them frame it in a super simple sentence. The second is values. I'm sure you've had a hundred guests come on and talk about values. We don't have to talk about that. And then the third is we're going to go, we're going to call out Jim Collins for like the fourth time. I love his hedgehog concept and good to great. Um, and everybody kind of says, oh yeah, and nods their head. And I'm like, well, what's yours? And they're like, I have no <laughs> idea. Right. So, <laughs> um, so if, if we can frame those three things, identity values and your hedgehog, then we can start to look at, first of all, immense amount of focus as an organization, but we know who we are. We know our ethos. We know, and now we can empower our leaders to make decisions that are aligned with who we want to be as we grow our organization. We're not reliant on the founder to make all the conversations because it's about him. It's now about we. So we got to do we is number five. Number six is last, not because it's least, but because it's actually woven through all of the first five. But the world says it really matters who you work for. And so the renegade founder says, yeah, great. So I'll work for myself, right? So they go out and, and create this thing. They're their own boss. And we've got to get to the, the people shift. And the people shift says, we work together. So it is about the culture that we put people in, which uh, people talk a lot about. And my geeky brain 15, 10 years ago uh, said, looked at it from an engineering perspective to say, all right, how do we engineer the culture that we want to have? And it was so simple. And so we can break that down. Um, we've, so we've got the culture. We need to teach our people to be world-class problem solvers so that that founder is no longer the world-class problem yeah. solver. It's all of our people. And the last part is the approach to the humanity of the organization. So it's our people development. It's our leader development. We have a very, uh, we push people in this topic because most people spend a lot of time on the stuff that doesn't actually matter. When we look into what makes an exceptional leader, it comes down to who that person is when they walk in the room way more than what they do when they walk into the room. And so Leadership development is primarily how do I learn to lead myself better? And then when we can do that, it doesn't turn into how do we lead others better? It turns into how do we help other people lead themselves better? And man, if we can get this, it's an absolute game changer. Fat. That's magic. Um, let me switch gears slightly as we get towards the end. Bench, what is it you know now you wish you'd known earlier? Well, you got to buy the book to get all those answers. But um, the, the, the book is super personal to my journey for sure. And it, it really is, um, you know, besides those six shifts, I go a little deeper into this like personal development, people development. I talk about what building the right team looks like. So there's some, there's some tactical things in there. There's a bunch of like exercises at the end of each chapter. You can go and actually do work and put some action to, to some of the thoughts. Uh, I think the, the biggest thing, let, let me switch the question just a little bit. I think as leaders, the best leaders I know have created an abstraction between their own identity and 
their leadership. So if you work for me or I work for you, my identity is not affected by how you feel about me today. So their ability to walk in and weather a storm or have a tough conversation, their ego is almost set to the side. And I think that that's one of the most critical elements of business that nobody talks about. Very good. And then the other one is for some book recommendations other than Renegade. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I love all the classics. I think, um, the ones that we talked about, I keep a stash of because I love passing them out. Leadership and self-deception, the only leaders worth following, infect perfection. You know, those, those are my three absolute go-to. Very good. And what, uh, what makes you love them just to give the listeners a, a sense of why they should take them up? Sure. Um, so the only leaders worth following is written by Tim Spiker. It's very research di- driven, but he, they, they did a lot of research to really articulate and break down the elements of an exceptional leader. And I'll tell you that I won't give you the punchline of that, but I'll tell you that we're all focused on the wrong things. And so that, that became the foundation for our leadership model within system and soul is that book. Um, Leadership and Self-Deception is written as a story by the Arbinger Group. And it does such a great job putting a few metaphors to what we experience with our interactions with people. It applies at home, it applies in our personal life, but very much so in our work life. And it gives teams a little bit of language to articulate what they're experiencing. Another great book in that same regard would be The Empowerment Dynamic or The Power of Ted. Uh, which helps people get out of the drama triangle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, same, similar, similar kind of thinking, different way toward it. And then Fect Perfection, Victoria just does an, such an amazing job giving people permission to be who they were created to be. And um, I, I have to read that book once a year to um, get empowered to live, uh, as he would say, let my freak flag fly. Very good. They're fab choices, they're magic. Uh, I will feel as I've definitely got two of them. I haven't got the third, so I'll be on Amazon to pick that up. The delight of doing these podcasts. Not only do I get to talk to amazing guests, I get to go and feed my insatiable reading habit. So that's fair. Yes. Bench, an absolute pleasure having you on today. Thank you very much indeed. Yes, mutual. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you'd be kind enough to leave a review, it will really help other like-minded entrepreneurs find this podcast and grow our community. For all information relating to this episode, you can go to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find some cracking show notes, additional reading and links relating to our guest. There you can also find my blog and past episodes of my subjectively not crap newsletter, where I'll update you on the best articles I read that week, some recommended books and other podcasts. Thanks, and I will see you next week.